This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. He's describing here the two types of energies. There is an energy which is internal, which you sense, like the soul and the body. You sense the energy, you sense the life force, the vitality, you sense that you're alive. Then you have energies which are makif, which are tran transcendent, which are above us. But even within makif, there's two types. There's what we call a transcendent light that's close to us, that has an effect on us. And then you have a transcendent light that's distant from us, that's totally beyond us, beyond our grasp. It eludes our grasp. It eludes our consciousness and our awareness. We're completely oblivious to it. Like the difference between clothes. Clothes are around us. They're above us. They're around us. But they fit us. It's close to us. Versus a home. A home also surrounds us, but a home is distant. A home is not measured to the person. So too, there is a certain, uh, um, there is a certain effect on us. Something that's beyond us, but it has a certain effect on us. For example, if you meet a brilliant person, if you meet a genius, if you meet a talented person. Now, you meet Einstein. It'll have an effect on you. None of his genius will rub off on you. <laughs> However. <laughs> so it's not an internal effect. It's not like you meet a wise person, you walk away wiser. You know, you meet a brilliant person, you walk away. You meet a famous person, you meet a mighty person, a great person, a king. None of his greatness wears off on you, and none of his charm wears off on you, and none of his brilliance wears off on you. But it lifts you up. You know, it makes you a different person. You rub shoulders with kings. You sat at the same table with royalty, with nobility, with kings. You're hanging around Einsteins. You're hanging around great people. It's going to have, it's what we call uh, an external effect. But it has some effect in it. Like you walk into a synagogue and there's 10 Jews praying. It has an effect, even if you don't internalize it. But you're uplifted. It has some uplift. That's an external circumstance. A, an encompassing light that's close to you. It's like the clothes. It fits you. It has some effect on you. It warms you up. It has some effect on you. A home has a much more distant effect on you. So we say Hashem is save of Kalam and Hashem <laughs> encompasses us. Hashem transcends us. Hashem is beyond us. That we're completely oblivious to it. It has no effect on us. We're not even aware of it. Our whole substance, our whole essence, our whole core is nothing other than the divine. Hashem is thinking about us this very moment. He's thinking of this cup and this cup of tea and this table. 
of us sitting in this room, exactly what's transpiring at this moment is only because Hashem is thinking about it at this very moment. The camera, the, the light, everything. The whole setting, down to every last detail. The cookies. The hydrogenated... The <laughs> everything. And yet we're completely oblivious. You talk to most people, godliness? What? Who? You know, they can't even relate to it. They don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, but this is it. This is everything. We, we're completely oblivious. Just like when a person thinks about something. It completely, your mind, your imagination completely encompasses it and surrounds it. And yet, does the stone that you're thinking about have any idea you're thinking about? It's completely oblivious. So Hashem is thinking about us. And it's His encompassing us that creates us at this very moment, and yet we're completely oblivious. It's, if you think about it, it's mind-boggling. This is the mystery of the Tzimtzum. It could only come about the mystery of the Tzimtzum. Because just like Hashem has the ability to create, Hashem has the ability to hide. He's sustaining us, creating us, thinking about us at this very moment. He's within us. He's all around us. He's everything. There's nothing else. We're just the materialization of his consciousness, of his thoughts. We're nothing else. And him and his thoughts are one. So we're just the materialization of the infinite. The material is nothing more than the materialization of consciousness, of godliness. Of Hashem's awareness, Hashem's thoughts. The divine. So we're thoroughly, through and through, down to our very core and essence. We're nothing other than the divine. That is our substance. That is our being. That's our essence. And yet we're completely oblivious of it. This is the mystery of the Tzimtz. It's a much greater ability than Hashem's creative ability. The ability to completely hide and conceal. But He uses the parable of a person. When we think of something, and yet it has no effect on the, on the object that's being thought of. So Hashem's thoughts seemingly have no effect on us. We don't feel it, we don't sense it, we're not aware of it, we're not conscious of it. Completely oblivious to it. Contrary to the reality. <laughs> Disney World. Okay, so now he's going to explain, page 719, in the middle of the page. But his knowledge, which is united with his essence and being, for he is the knowledge, the knower, and the known. It has been previously explained that Hashem's knowledge and intellect are totally different from man's. When a mortal being knows something, three distinct identities are involved. The knower, the person in possession of the knowledge. The knowledge, the intellectual faculty which enables him to know. The known, the particular item of knowledge which he knows. Hashem, however, is the knowledge, the knower, and the known. He that knows, and the vehicle through which he knows, and that which he knows, are all himself. Thus his knowledge is wholly united, wholly identified with his essence. And knowing himself as it were, he knows all created beings. Our knowledge, since we are biological creatures, and we are physically limited and constrained, so our knowledge is external. It's a detached type of knowledge. 
We observe, and we're objective observers, and we learn new information, and we absorb and integrate new information. So there's the person who's observing, there is the intellect with which we observe, and then there's the object that we're observing outside of us. It's three separate items. And then we absorb it, and we assimilate it, and it becomes one to a certain extent with us. Once you know something, you know it. You can't unknow something that you know. Try forgetting something that you really know. You know, once you know something, you can't forget it. Two plus two is four. You'll never ever think otherwise. Two plus two is five. You know, once you absorb something, you assimilate something. It's it's the closest we get to internalizing, to unifying with something. But nevertheless, it's broken up into three different parts. That's our type of knowledge. Hashem's knowledge is different. Hashem's knowledge it's it's a divine knowledge. It's not biological. It's not external. Hashem knows us because He knows Himself. Because we are his knowledge. We are nothing else than his knowledge. The whole universe is nothing other than the godly consciousness. There is nothing else. What is this universe? Everything that exists is just the materialization of the divine. It's not like the body and the soul. The body and the soul, as close as they are, as intimate as they are, as inseparable as they have become, they are still two separate entities. While the universe is the divine consciousness, it's nothing other than the divine consciousness. There's nothing else. It's hard for us to relate to. We can't even relate to it because we don't have that experience. In our reality, our consciousness doesn't create things. And we can't relate to the idea that everything is just the materialization of the divine consciousness, of this infinite divine consciousness that that permeates everything. We just can't relate to these concepts. We just don't experience it. You can only relate to something you experience. You extrapolate from yourself. You use yourself as a parable. As Job says, from my flesh, I know God. So we could relate to the idea, the internal energy. That we could relate to. That's the foundation of religion, of mysticism. Of that, that we could relate to. That's the body and the soul. And just like we have a body and a soul, we understand that the world is a body and the cosmos is a body and God is its soul. That's religion. That's mysticism. That we can relate to. But the idea that there is no body, there is no soul, all there is is the divine. And this whole world is nothing other than the divine consciousness. That the material is just the materialization. Matter is energy. is just the materialization of the divine consciousness. This is totally beyond our grasp. It's totally beyond our reach. Not that it's not real or it's not true. It's so real and it's so true, but it's totally beyond us. It's, that's why we call it the encompassing light. It's beyond our... It'll lose our grasp because we have no frame of reference. Divine consciousness is not like our consciousness. And we are all a result of the divine consciousness. At this very moment, it's God's awareness. And God's consciousness, that is who we are. We are just the materialization of God's imagination and God's thoughts and God's consciousness and God's knowledge and awareness. So, but it's hard, difficult for us to wrap our mind around that concept. You know, were we to truly comprehend it, we would, we would be jumping out of our skin. It's a different reality. It's not the reality the way it appears to be. This whole egotistical reality and, and being anxious and being worried and I'm in control and, 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 and the jealousy and, and, and all, all these illnesses and all of this is a result of our fragmented view and reality. Our very limited, constricted, as a result of the tzimtzum, the internal perspective, the internal life. It's very narrow and very limited and limiting. But once you reach the transcendent light, the infinite light, the all-encompassing light, 
and you realize that that is our core and essence and our substance and God is thinking of us and it's God's imagination and awareness. That's, that's what we are. We're nothing else. There's no body and soul. All there is is, is the divine. Then the ego dissolves. There's no ego. There's no separation. There's no fragmentation. There's no jealousy. There's no envy. There's no hatred. There's no, there's, there's no anxiety. There's no... Money, power, fame, surface, externals, that's that skin deep, that indulgence. That's not what life is all about. It's a different reality, different universe, different world, different truth. But we are not aware of it. You can blissfully go through your whole life and never see the truth. It says, when a person passes away, it says when a person is alive, he can't see God's face. But the Torah says, were you to see God's face, you could not live. So the rabbis say, you can't see God's face while you're alive. But you do see God's face when you die. The moment before you die. That's when you see God's face. Many loved ones will tell you, the loved ones, right before they pass away, they give a smile and they pass away. You see God's face. And then when you realize, because at that moment, that's your last moment you can do teshuva. In that split second, when you see God's face, when you see the reality that we are nothing other than the materialization of the infinite, of God, the divine knowledge and awareness. There is no body, there is no soul. All there is is God. Everything is godly, everything is Hashem. There is nothing else. In that moment, you could do teshuva. At that moment, you realize you wasted your whole life. What did you pursue? All your energies. You were running after money, power, fame, indulgence, materialism, ego, arrogance. It means absolutely nothing. In the eternal scheme of things, it's nothing. Versus life of Torah, life of mitzvah. A life of kindness. Every time you smile, you help a person. Every time you say an encouraging word. Every time you give a penny to tzedakah. These things are eternal. These things are forever. That's the only thing that really matters. At the end of the day. Every time you're honest in business. And every time you, you, do, you carry yourself honestly with dignity. And you sanctify Hashem's name. So at that moment, Hashem wants us. Gives us the opportunity to do teshuva. Because it turns your whole life around. Suddenly you see the truth. And you see the truth. You realize what's this whole ego pursuit is meaningless. What, 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 when, where? You could be a billionaire, you could be a powerful senator. You could be, what does it mean? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Versus if you put on tefillin once, that has infinite value. You lit a Shabbat candle once, you can't even begin to describe what divine impact you have, what infinite value that has. You gave a penny to tzedakah. You can't even imagine what that means. How precious that is. Every mitzvah, every last bit. So the moment before we pass away, Hashem appears Himself to us. And we see Hashem's face. We get the perspective, the inner perspective, from the inside out. Instead of looking at the world from the outside, looking in the way we experience it right now, at this moment, while we're alive, we see the world from God's point of view. God's face. From the inner point of view. And it's a different world. It's a different reality. It's a different truth. Beyond religion, beyond mysticism, we see the face of God. 
That's what he's describing here. Hashem's knowledge, Hashem's awareness is different. Hashem's consciousness is divine consciousness. It's different consciousness. not like our consciousness, which is external, limited to biological, to the body. We're talking about Hashem's knowledge is from within. God knows everything because everything is from God. There is nothing else but God. God knows himself, so he knows everything. We are nothing other than the divine imagination and knowledge and awareness and the materialization of the divine knowledge. God transformed himself into everything that exists. There's nothing else. And God and his energy, God and his knowledge are, inf- are one. So the, God is infinite, and his knowledge and awareness are also infinite. And that is our substance. That is who we are. We're nothing el- else. So this whole world is conscious. The whole world is alive. It's not the way it appears to be. It says when Mashiach will come, the stone will speak. The stone will speak. The stone will tell all our secrets. <laughs> now we think the stone is quiet. But the stone, the stone thinks to itself. It says if a, if a Jew steps over a stone and he's not thinking a word of Torah, he's not thinking some higher thought, the stone is saying, low life, what are you stepping on me? I should be stepping on you. Who gives you a right to step on me? The only reason you have a right to step on me is if you're, if you're a man, if you're a person, if you behave like a man. But if you're walking, thinking, empty thoughts, well, why, why, you, why should you be stepping? I should be stepping on you. Now the world is silent. The stones are silent. The world is silent. But the truth is the whole world is consciousness. And as we hurdle into the era of Mashiach, the whole world is becoming consciousness. You know, with a little chip, which is in, inanimate, organic, inorganic. The whole world that we're going to put, the walls will have information. Everything will be permeated with knowledge and awareness and information. That's what characterizes the Messianic era. When the whole world becomes permeated with knowledge and information, awareness, consciousness, the whole world is elevated and refined. So much so that one day the sheep will lie together with the wolf, the lamb and the wolf. Because when the whole world is elevated to a level of consciousness and awareness, then it's, it's a different world. It's a world that's in touch with the divine, a world that's in touch with its inner core, inner essence of godliness. This is the world, if you open your eyes, this is the world that we're hurtling towards. As the world becomes plugged in and connected and aware and instant knowledge, instant information, instantly available anytime, any place, to everyone equally. Um, so this is the level of save of Kalam, the inner truth, the different perspective, the inside-out perspective is beginning to emerge. And that was all the breakthroughs of modern physics, quantum mechanics and Einstein and matter is energy and the atom and the it's a whole different perspective. It's, a whole, it's seeing the world from the inside out, seeing the world from God's point of view, realizing the world is conscious, the world is awake, the world is alive, the world is vibrant, the world is is filled with the knowledge of Hashem, with the consciousness of Hashem. So the world is flooded, flooded with the knowledge of Hashem. And of course we have the flood, the knowledge of Hasidism, the knowledge of the Baal Shem, the knowledge of Hasidic teachings, the knowledge of the Tanya, and the teachings of all the seven Rebbe's, which have flooded the world with awareness of Hashem, consciousness of Hashem. And this transforms, this transforms our whole experience. This gives us a glimpse, the ability to see, to become aware of the truth. 
This was not revealed to everyone. What we're learning here is very privileged information. This was not revealed for thousands of years. Jews did the right thing, but they didn't discuss this. They weren't aware of this. That there's a whole different perspective, the level of Seyv of Kalam, of God's infinite energy and God's infinite consciousness and awareness that's constantly creating us and that we are nothing other than the divine awareness and consciousness. From God's awareness, there are no separations. It's not like there's a body and there's a soul. There's me, the knowledge, the knower, and the object that's known. Three separate items. Just like the body and the soul are also separate, ultimately. Here, from God's point of view, there is no separation. All there is is God's consciousness. God and His consciousness and what He's aware of are all the same. Because what is the object He's aware of? Nothing other than the divine consciousness. It's just a materialization of the divine consciousness. There's nothing else. It's not like a body to a soul. All there is is a divine consciousness. It's an absolute unity. So there is knowledge. There is awareness. But it's not like our knowledge. It's not like our awareness. It's not like human awareness. It's divine awareness. Where there's no separation. All three are absolutely one. So everything is God and God is everything. There is nothing else. There is no, there's no body. There's no soul. All there is is God. We are divine consciousness. And God's consciousness is infinite. God and His consciousness are one. So what are we? We are. We have the, with the infinite divine awareness and knowledge within us. That's who we are. All around us and within us. There is nothing else. So, so that, that revolutionizes. It's a radically different understanding of, of reality. We're not like a body and God is our soul. That's religion. That's mysticism. That's what a human being could reach. A human being can't reach higher. He can't see God's face and, and remain human. And be alive. But that's not the truth. That's not the reality. The reality is, save of Kalam. God transcends the world. God's infinite light is all encompassing. Not it's above us, it's beyond us. It's above our grasp. It eludes our awareness. Just like when a person thinks of something and imagines something, the object doesn't feel that you're thinking about it. So too, we're completely oblivious to the fact that God is thinking about us. We're completely oblivious to the fact that we're nothing other than the divine consciousness. But it doesn't change the reality. The reality remains that we are nothing other than the divine consciousness. That's who we are. And it's all that exists. So not with the knowledge that is external to himself, like the knowledge of a human being. Human knowledge requires getting to know something which is external to the knower himself, not so... Hashem's knowledge comes from His knowing Himself. For all of the created beings are derived from His true reality. God's true reality in existence is the source of all created beings. By knowing Himself, therefore, as mentioned just above, He knows all of creation. And this thing is not within the power of human beings to comprehend clearly. The human mind cannot possibly grasp the concept of knowledge, knower, and known, all being one and the same. For whatever matter a man may desire to comprehend, he imagines how it exists within himself, bearing in mind, of course, that when the matter at hand is the knowledge of godliness, it is to be conceived on a more exalted and abstract plane than that of simple human existence. Since God's manner of knowledge is totally dissimilar from man's, it is thus impossible for him to picture it at all. He must forever remain beyond his ken. There's a classical argument. We learned this already in chapter 2. I would refer you back 
thelessonsintanya.com. You can find it online. And, uh, tw- and chapter 2. I think it's the second lesson. Chapter 2. Second lesson, chapter 2. So there, the Rebbe explained there's a classical argument between the Maral, Rabbi Hudaloi of Prague. We're going to visit him in our upcoming trip. Visit his grave, Prague, and his synagogue. And uh, Maimonides. We just quoted Maimonides. Alter Rebbe just quoted Maimonides. That God and his wisdom are one. God and his knowledge are one. And a human being cannot fully grasp this concept. But the Maral argues, vehemently argues with Maimonides. He says, how can you call God the knower? Because calling God a knower, knowledge is also a definition. God is not only infinite, God's knowledge is infinite, but God is undefined. You can't straightjacket God to knowing, or to love, or to any concept, or any characteristic trait. Because God is infinite. God has only ten characteristic traits. God is infinite characteristic traits. God is undefined, not only infinite. How can you call God knowing? And he points out the rabbis always refer to, they don't refer to, to God as the great intellect, as the philosophers talk about God, the original cause. They talk about the ultimate intellect, the original cause. The, the rabbis in the Torah always refer to God as HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh means the Holy One. Holy means God is transcendent. God is beyond intellect. God is beyond any definition, any description. Because God is beyond our grasp. Just like a blind person. Try describing to a blind person what green is, what yellow is, what red is. He doesn't know what you're talking about. He doesn't even have the frame of reference. Why? Because he doesn't have it within him. If you don't have it within you, you can't describe it. So we are like the blind person. We're trying to describe to God, God is perfect intellect. God is intellect. Perfect intellect. What are you talking about? We can't even begin to describe God because we're not God. God is undefined. God is something infinite, undefined. The moment we open our mouths, it's already not God. Anything we say about God, it's already not God. So the only thing we can say about God, God is holy. He's transcendent. He's transcendent. Anything you can conceive and anything you can imagine. The most perfect intellect, perfect love, perfect compassion. That's the problem. Religion, we create God in man's image. Oh, God is love. Perfect love. That's idolatry. God is love. God is intellect. God is beyond. We can't even begin to describe. Just like you're going to say that obviously God is not a hand. Anyone who says God is love, it's the same idolatry. As Maimonides says in today's portion. In the beginning of... of As Maimonides says today. In the beginning, in the first book of Maimonides. In the laws of Teshuvah. Anyone who says that God is like a hen, it's idolatry. So anyone who says that God is love, it's also idolatry. So he says, anyone who says that God is intellect, it sounds, it sounds idolatrous. What do you mean God is intellect, perfect intellect? God is undefined. However, the Kabbalists do subscribe to the opinion of Maimonides. As Rabbi Moshe Kordavido says, because the view of the morale is very difficult to understand. The morale argues that just like God creates, he creates action. God is not action. God is not anything you can touch. So too, when the Torah says that God sees or God thinks, it's also like action. Like God created, just like God created a table, he created the intellect. It's not God, but God has the ability to create. 
God could do anything. So just like he created the physical, so he also created awareness and thought. And, and con- but that's not God. But it's difficult because it does seem in the Torah that God says, I know my understanding is not like your understanding. You can't compare human understanding to God, the divine understanding. So you can't say that understanding to God is just like a tool. It's not God. It's just a tool. God says it's my understanding. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. So God does attribute to his thoughts something very intimate and personal with God. Like the classical Jewish approach, whenever there's an argument, is you're right and you're right. You're both right. How do you reconcile it? How can they both be right? The morale could be right and the Maimonides is right. So we can understand this based on the Kabbalah of the Arizal. The Arizal taught that God essentially is infinite. God essentially is undefined. It's beyond the ten spherot. You can't straightjacket God into ten, not eleven, ten, not nine. You can't straightjacket God into knowledge, into love. God is beyond any definition, any description. So that's the level of God, the way God is within himself. But God did emanate from within himself the ten svirot. These ten svirot are not separate from God. God emanated from within himself. Because God has the ability to emanate from within himself. So the svirot to God are like the body in relation to the soul, so to speak. That they're inseparable. The body contains the soul. So God emanated from within himself awareness, knowledge, knowing. And that's divine knowledge. It's, abs- it's inseparable from God himself as a result of the tzimtzum. So if you're speaking on the level that's beyond the tzimtzum, the way God is for, for himself, so to speak, yes, over there, God is completely transcendent. God is completely holy, infinite, transcendent undefined, there's nothing we can say, there's nothing we can know, we don't even have the ability to know, we don't even, not only we don't know, we can't know, we don't have the tools with which to know, there's nothing we can know, we don't even, we, don't even, we can't even begin to approach God. But God, as a result of the tzimtzum, contracted himself, concentrated himself, and emanated from within himself the ten spherot, because he wanted to have a relationship with us. So God expresses himself through the divine knowledge. Although that unity is a mystery, how can God's, God and knowledge be unified? But God emanated from within himself and concentrated himself through knowledge, divine knowledge, through divine love. And God and his knowledge are one and the same and inseparable. So therefore you have awareness, you have consciousness, but it's divine consciousness. It's infinite and God and his knowledge are one and it's inseparable from God. And we are nothing other than the divine consciousness. Which permeates us. That's who we are. We're nothing else. It's only because God is aware of us at this very moment that we exist. So we are just the materialization of God's knowledge. So that's what he's going to say in the... um, You want to read? As Rambam, page 722. As Rambam of blessed memory has written, the God is knowledge, knower and known. And the scholars of the Kabbalah have agreed with his views, as is stated in parties of Rabbi Moshe Cordovo of blessed memory. This is also in accord with the Kabbalah of our master, Rabbi Isaac Luria of blessed memory. 
who was Rabbi Isaac Luria Arizal, who first revealed the doctrine of symptom contraction, which taught that God's exalted essence is even more removed from the Sirah than was thought before then. It would thus be logical to assume that since he stresses his infinite distance from the Sirah of Hakun, for example, he would be unable to accept the statement that he is the knowledge. Nevertheless, this teaching holds true even according to him or with his proviso. In the mystery example, the doctrine of contraction and the clothing of the lights in the vessels of the Serapid, as has been explained previously in chapter two. The unity of God with the divine Serapid is so absolute that even according to Rabbi Isaac Luria, one may safely say of the unity, he is the knowledge, the knower, and the known. Okay, so that was the note, and for further elaboration, you can go back to chapter two, lesson number two. Okay. Before the above note, the Alter Rebbe stated that Hashem's knowledge is united with His essence and being. Since He is infinite, His knowledge is infinite as well. It is therefore impossible for this knowledge to pervade the earth, and it must encompass it. This is true, of course, not only of Hashem's knowledge of the earth, but of creation as a whole. This knowledge, then, since it is of an infinite order, is not described as clothing itself in the orb of the earth, which is finite and limited, while Hashem's knowledge is limitless, but as encircling and encompassing it. Even though this knowledge embraces its entire thickness and interior in actual reality. Unlike the knowledge of a human being, which encompasses only the image of an object and not its reality, Hashem's knowledge embraces the object in actual reality, thereby giving it existence ex nihilo. Creation does not come about from the minute glimmer of Hashemness found within the object, which sustains it only at the inanimate and vegetative level, but from the supernal knowledge that encompasses and encircles it. And although this knowledge is responsible for the object's existence, it is still described as encompassing. For inasmuch as the knowledge is infinite, while the created being is finite, this knowledge is unable to clothe itself within the created being. As is explained elsewhere, that creation ex nihilo can take place only as a result of the encompassing life. The fact that we exist could only come about something from nothing, could only come about because of Hashem's knowledge, Hashem's awareness. But the the part that we are aware of, the inner light that differentiates us and gives us our characteristic, whether we're inanimate objects, animate objects, organic, um, animal life, human life, all of these details, that comes from the internal life, but the true existence comes from the all-encompassing light. But because it's infinite, therefore we're completely oblivious of it. We're totally unaware of it. Not because it's not there. In order for God to create us, God has to be within us every moment. But on the other hand, God has to be totally concealed from us. Because were, to God, were God to reveal himself to us, we would cease to exist. Were God to reveal his face, his inner light, his internal light, his 
all-encompassing light, is infinite light, where his knowledge, his divine knowledge and awareness, were we to be aware of it, it would completely you know transform us and, and, and change us. He says, and that's why it says, although God, there's two types of knowledge. There's an internal knowledge, and there is an all-encompassing knowledge. And there is, the all-encompassing knowledge does not affect us. Just like we're not aware of God's consciousness, the divine consciousness, which is creating us each and every moment, and we're nothing other than the divine consciousness, but we don't, we're not aware of it. So too, this is the explanation how God's awareness does not affect our behavior. The classical question, since God knows everything that's going to happen before it happens, God knows the future before it happens. So if God knows the future before it happens, how do we have freedom of choice? What kind of choice do we have? If God knows the outcome before it happens, are we puppets? I mean, how can we do otherwise? How can we go against what God knows? And the ultimate answer is, I mean, the simple answer is that, yes, God knows the future. We don't understand how God knows the future, so we don't, we don't understand how God's knowledge doesn't affect our choice. Or it's like, it's like just like we know after the fact. If we know something after the fact, does it affect your choice? It's clear in our mind, if I know what you've already chosen, it doesn't affect your choice. So since God's knowledge, God knows before just like after, so God's knowledge is like our knowledge after. He knows, but it doesn't affect our choice. He knows what we are going to choose. He doesn't force us. He doesn't take away our freedom of choice. But on a deeper level, the ultimate explanation is what Alter Rebbe is explaining here. And then we'll open up the floor for questions and comments. Um, Alter Rebbe is explaining here that there is a knowledge, the divine knowledge, which completely transcends our knowledge completely transcends our level of awareness. It has no effect on us. And he uses the parable, when a person knows something. When we know something, and our mind, imagination, encompasses that object that we're thinking of, does it affect the object that we're thinking of? No. It has no effect on us. Completely unaware. It has no effect on us. So too, Hashem, although Hashem's knowledge creates us, and we're nothing other than the divine awareness and knowledge, but nevertheless, we're, we're completely unaware of it. So Hashem's knowledge is very distant from us. It has no conscious effect on us. We're completely conscious, on a conscious level, we're completely oblivious to it. So Hashem's knowledge doesn't affect our choice. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't force us to go one way or the other. Versus, it says when Hashem speaks, when Hashem says something, that compels us. That's why it says, Tzadik when a child is born, so the angel, the drop is brought before the angel, and the angel declares, this child will be wise or foolish, will be strong or weak. But he doesn't declare whether this child will be wicked or righteous. Even though God knows whether this child will be wicked or righteous. But once he says it, once God says it, if the angel would say it, then it becomes official. Then it's internal. Once it's internal knowledge, once it's internal, then it affects us. And then you have no choice. You can't, then you, you lose your freedom of choice. But since God doesn't say it, his knowledge remains aloof from us. We're completely oblivious to his knowledge, to his awareness. We're completely oblivious that all we are are, are his knowledge. We're nothing other than the divine awareness and knowledge. So since we are completely oblivious to this, 
therefore it doesn't affect we're not robots and we're not puppets and we're completely unaffected and we have a choice because it's totally beyond us so of course all we are is God's knowledge and God knows the future before it happened he knows for God everything already happened God is past, present, future all the same but since that level of awareness and knowledge divine now is totally beyond us it has no impact on us it has no effect on us so therefore we have freedom of choice so, so the, the three worlds, because the world of Atsilas, that's the world where God and his knowledge are one. That's it. That's the world that's of unity. The that's the where the, the, the divine knowledge is one with the divine. That's it. It's only with the three worlds that the, the knowledge becomes detached. Consciousness becomes detached because yes. it's the beginning of creation, the beginning of separation. So the knowledge is also, I'm aware of something that's outside of me, that's beyond yes. me, that's different than me, that's separate from me. So even though as a result of my awareness, you become unified, uh, the angels of the world of creation are like fish in water. They're swallowed up in their source because they have such massive intellects. And they're able to understand godliness to the highest level that a being is able to understand Hashem. But nevertheless, and they're swallowed up in the source, but nevertheless, the fish and the water are two separate items. They're not one and the same. That's correct. It's only in the world of unity where you have, as Maimonides says, God and his knowledge, the awareness and the thing that you're aware of, and the one who's aware are all inseparable, are all absolutely one, are unified. That's the world of emanation. That's a divine awareness. That's awareness that's beyond our grasp. We have no frame of reference. We have nothing to compare it to because it's not an our experience. The Rambam doesn't say it's impossible for us to know. The Rambam says it's very difficult for us to know, difficult for us to imagine, because as we discussed elsewhere, Dr. Rebbe discusses this also in, in the second portion of the Tanya, we also have it online, okay. that um, there is, we do have, it's not ordinarily that we tap into, that we access this level of awareness, but we do have experiences like that. A knowledge which is different than our external knowledge. Because most knowledge is external. Yes. You know something, two plus two is four. I know it. It's true. It's not a lie. But who cares? So what? Then you have a knowledge that evokes a response from within. Something stirs within you. And once you know it, it's like, oh, I've always known it. It's like a type of knowledge where you, you respond to the knowledge. You can't separate the being, the person, from the knowledge. You become the knowledge. You are the knowledge. Not you know it, it knows you. It, it's, it's, a whole, it's from the inside out. It's a, not a knowledge that's external and superficial. Most knowledge, most wisdom, science, maths, it's external, it's superficial. You know it, but so what? Does it make me a better person? Does it change me? Does it transform me? Versus Torah knowledge is divine. Because it's a type of knowledge that it changes you. It affects you. you. You can't remain separate from the knowledge. You can't just sit with your hands folded and learn Torah. And it has no effect on you. Torah is divine knowledge. So it's a type of knowledge that deeply affects you. You can't separate the knowledge, the knower, and the knowing. They become absolutely one. That's why Torah has to transform you. Torah has to inspire you. Every bit of Torah that you learn has to be turned into a guidance, into a teaching. How is this going to change my life? What, how is this going to make my life different? As a result of what I learned today, I'm going to wake up a different person tomorrow. I'm not going to be the same person. I can't be the same person. This is the nature of the divine. This is the nature of emes. That's why it only exists, as it says in the Talmud, if someone will tell you there's wisdom amongst the nation of the world, absolutely. 
There's brilliance and wisdom. But if someone will tell you there's Torah amongst the nations of the world, don't believe it. Because Torah is emes. Emes is a divine quality. It's the divine seal. Emes means that, the, you, that you can't separate the knowledge, the knower, and the knowing. When you know something, how do you know something is emes? Yes. How do you know something is emes? If it evokes a response from within. You know it. You know it. Right. You know it in your kishkes. Exactly. Kishkes. You know it in your kishkes. If you hear something, it's nice, but it doesn't resonate. It's true. It's not false. Nice piece of, it doesn't mean anything. It's a nice piece of information, but who cares? <laughs> you want to show off how brilliant you are. But, but you want to know what emes? If it evokes a response from within, if it resonates, then you know you've hit the jackpot. It's, an, it's not a knowledge, an intellectual knowledge that's external and superficial. Your whole being responds. You know it. It knows you. You know it. It's, this is a rare type of knowledge that most of us can go through our entire lives and not be aware of this level of knowledge. Occasionally, inadvertently, we do experience that type of knowledge. We tap into that level of knowledge. But it's very rare that it's done deliberately and consciously. So that so Ram doesn't say it's impossible. He says it's very difficult for a person to really know what we're talking about because most people don't never experience that level of knowledge. All our knowledge is very surface and very superficial and external. So yes, once you know something, you become unified with that idea, you become inseparable, you, you, it's like you digest it, but it doesn't affect you, it doesn't change you. Yes, but. Is it like, well, if I know something, it doesn't change me, it doesn't change, but this kind of knowledge, like the Torah, studying the Torah, that changes you. That's the nature of emes, not truth. There's no translation for the word emes. Truth is not emes. Two plus two is four is true, but it's not emes. Torah is emes. So what does emes actually mean? Emes means, it's, 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 well, it's hard to translate because there's no word in any language, in any culture, because this concept doesn't exist anywhere. Emes, we translate it as truth. But emes is God's seal, God's signature. You can't duplicate it. You can't copy it. It's genuine. Knowledge, we can copy. God has knowledge, we have knowledge. God's knowledge is infinite, our knowledge is not so infinite. God's love is perfect, we have love. But emes is a divine quality. You can't duplicate it. Because emes means, as the Talmud says, Aleph, it's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's Mem, the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Taf, the last letter. means it's absolute. It's through and through. It's 100%. It affects your whole being, your mind, your heart, your body, your physical. You know, we have that. Sometimes you hear something, and your whole being responds. You physically respond. Wow, that's it. It's not just an intellectual response. It's not just an emotional response. It's something within, very deep. Something stirs inside of you. And something shifts inside of you. And you feel a physical change. Like something moves inside of you. Something is resolved. You can't even explain it. Something changed inside. But because your whole being responded. That's the nature of emes. You know, sometimes you can ask a question. And the teacher gives you an answer. It sounds logical. It may even sound brilliant. But you're not satisfied. You know, because... Maybe I couldn't explain my question. Maybe I myself don't even know what's troubling me. But something is troubling me. Something doesn't sit right. Something doesn't feel right. 
And then you have, you hear an answer, and you jump up. That's it. That's it. Now the whole thing clicks. The whole thing makes sense. It's like it could have thousands of pieces. It all falls together. It all comes together in the most beautiful way. And, you know, you respond to it. As the Talmud says, Nikarin divri emes. Truth resonates. The Talmud says, by Samson and Delilah. When, when the, Samson was playing with Delilah, she tried to get the secret of his strength. So he, he went through a few lies. He says, well, if they tie me with new ropes... And, uh, and as soon as he, she t- he fell asleep, she tied him up, and the Philistines were waiting on the side, and she, she, she yelled out, Samson, the Philistines are here, and he immediately broke the rope. He says, ah, you're joking, you're kidding with me. And it went on a few things he told her, and she was very upset. She says, come on, if I'm your wife, you have to trust me, you have to tell me the truth. And finally he told her the secret, because my hair, because the angel... God spoke to the angel and he, when he was born, before he was born, told his parents that he should be a Nazarite, shouldn't touch his hair. And that was the secret of his holiness. That was the secret of his strength. His prophecy was that God gave him strength, superhuman strength. So the Talmud says, and, and then it says, and when she heard it, she knew that this is the truth. Talmud said, how did she know that this is the truth? He just lied to her a few times. Maybe he was just kidding with her. And Talmud gives a few answers. And one of the answers is, When you hear truth, you know, it. you know it. I can't explain it, but when you hear it, you know it. That's the nature of truth. That's why Torah is truth. We're about to go to Mount Sinai. Next week, we're not going to have a class. Next week, we're going to be learning all night. We're going to have a dinner next week, Tuesday night, at the beginning of Shavuos. Please sign up. And then we're going to have all night learning with an all night tea room. And then <laughs> and Wednesday we're going to receive the Torah. Now, the Torah is truth. Could I prove it? Could I prove every word in the Torah? Could I prove every letter in the Torah? You know, but when you encounter the truth, it's like beauty. But when you see it, you'll know it. Could I explain it? Could I prove it? That's the nature of truth. When you encounter it, it resonates. When you have the Torah, it's truth. The Torah never lied to us. Every letter, every word in the Torah. The Torah said thousands of years ago that this Jewish people, Abraham, was living in a tent in Mesopotamia. And God says, your descendants, your biological descendants will be living all over the world and will be, and will be around 3,800 years later. Jewish people never left the front pages of history, if anyone has any doubts. Right. Every word, the Torah never lied to us. Every word in the Torah. But it's the nature of the Torah. The Torah is divine. It resonates. When you hear the Torah, you hear every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah, it's perfect. It's genuine. Because it's not just intellectual. It, it, it resonates, it, it evokes a response with every fiber of our being and every bone in our body, on every level, emotionally, psychologically, subconsciously, practically. It just, that's the nature of MS. It's absolute. It's real. It's genuine. You can bet your life on it. In God we trust. You can trust your life in it. Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah is life-giving and life-sustaining. So this is the nature of emes. That's the type of knowledge. That's divine knowledge. That's Torah. That's holy. That's holy knowledge. Versus math, science, physics. It's true. It's not false. But it's not divine. It's human knowledge. It's external knowledge. Superficial knowledge. Skin-deep knowledge. External knowledge. That's why you could be a brilliant... That's why universities, universities really should be the holiest places on God's planet. 
Because the more you delve into the depth of knowledge and information, the more you learn the miracle of the human body, the infinite complexity of the human body, the more you study the infinite complexity of reality or the infinite complexity of the universe, they should be all holy people. Godly, holy, moral, ethical, spiritual. <laughs> it sounds like our, our college campuses today. <laughs> I just came back from New Orleans to Wayne University. <laughs> not exactly, not yet. Um, why not? Because it's external. It's skin deep. It's superficial. It's not divine. It's not Torah. Torah is penetrating knowledge. It's absolute knowledge. It's a knowledge that touches your whole being, transforms your behavior, transforms your thought, transforms your being, transforms every part of you. It resonates. It's divine. And that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the miracle of Torah. We're celebrating the, the gift that God gave us. Matan Torah, what a gift. It's not that we deserved it, but what a gift that God gave us. He shared with us His perspective from the inside out. His divine knowledge, His divine awareness, and He put it into words and letters we can grasp, into behavior, into action, into mitzvot that we can do. This is not just faith and love. That's idolatry. All these religions to us are idolatry. The book that you handed to me, it's pure idolatry. These Jews for J are putting out distributed books, mailed out books to everyone, every Jew in the neighborhood in the Upper East Side. That's creating God, the image of man. God is love. God is spirit. God is... That's idolatry. You're creating God in your own image. God is not spiritual. God is not physical. God is undefined. God is beyond... You want to know how you grasp God? The physical mitzvah. Do the mitzvah. And anyone who tells you, what is the whole concept of Messiah, of Mashiach, which is a purely Jewish concept? Mashiach, the essence of Mashiach is Mashiach will be the one who will implement the Torah of Moshe. We never had the opportunity to do all 613 mitzvahs. Mashiach will give us the opportunity for the first time in history to give us the opportunity to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. Everything else is incidental. That's why Maimonides says Mashiach doesn't have to be a miracle worker. That's completely incidental. As Maimonides himself says, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Who cares? That's not what it's about. Even if he does, that's not what it's about. Mashiach will be the one who will restore the temple, restore the Jewish monarchy, restore the Jewish people to the homeland, will regain the greater Israel all the way to the Euphrates. And for the first time, the East Bank, the West Bank, there these fools are discussing giving back Jerusalem and giving back the West Bank and freezing houses in the West Bank and demolishing houses in the West Bank. Not only are we going to get the West Bank, we're going to get the East Bank all the way to the Euphrates. And we'll have, for the first time, we'll have the opportunity to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. If he performs miracles, completely incidental. And the Jews will live in peace. And the world will be in peace. Because part of the Torah is that all 6 billion people will worship God. All 6 billion people will become Noahides, righteous Gentiles. This is the essence of Mashiach, to do the Torah and the mitzvah. So anyone who's peddling that we don't need Torah, we don't need mitzvot, all you have to have is love and faith and visions. That's pure, unadulterated idolatry and nonsense. We won't even get you in assembly. <laughs> so Torah, we're celebrating the gift of Torah. It's truth. It's absolute. It's real. It resonates. And look at the Jewish people. All our enemies, where are they? And look, the Jew never left the front pages of history. That's, that's right. This is Emmas. Doesn't get more Emmas. 
And that's what we're celebrating uh, this coming Tuesday. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.